How cool is this Thursday night? Could be doing a number of things, but we're out here with God and one another. Sounds like family, amen? So it's awesome that we have David with us. And um, I don't know, it was about three or four months ago, I think, I got invited to a leaders gathering. There's probably about 20 people there at the Hope Center. And the Holy Spirit is awesome. You know, we need to be obedient when he asks us to do things. And you need to follow those hunches that you get. They can be the littlest of hunches, but you need to follow them, be obedient to them. And I get a whole lot of invites that come across my desk, and some I go to and some I don't go to. And there was this one, I looked at this, and I, I saw this word, Rima, and I thought, mm, this is interesting, this is what you're speaking to me about, and I sensed I needed to go. And so I went, and Ed, who's going to be speaking on Sunday, was also there, Ed Delph, but David was there, David Lake, and, and David got up and started to speak, and as soon as he started to speak, the frequency hit me. And um, God works on frequencies. He, the Spirit speaks. And we've said this before. The Spirit's not English. He's not Hebrew. He's Spirit. And He speaks spiritual words with spiritual thoughts. And we need the spiritual ears to hear the frequency to which He communicates on. It's no different to a radio station when you dial in. And my Spirit was dialing into what I was hearing and receiving. Um, and the Spirit just said at that moment, have a chat with David and see if there's a connection and see if they would come. And as it happened to be, they were coming back anyway. And so we've just had lunch today. And you talk about when you meet someone and you know there's a connection. Like we don't know each other, but we know each other. And we know someone together whose name's Jesus. And um, it was profound at lunch today. I I felt like, man, I was listening. I wasn't talking. It was cool. (laughs) That was awesome. I just listened. And um, I just want to welcome you, David, and I miss that. <laughs> it is, it's fantastic. It's like, man, I can just sit and receive. I can just be and receive and be washed over, uh, which is phenomenal. So I just want to thank you. <laughs> and I said to David, I said, What are you doing next year? I said, Would you come back? He said, Absolutely. And so we've got to talk about that. But I just want to welcome you here. Um, David's been, this is David's second time to New Zealand, if I'm right. And so it's just a privilege um, to have you here with us. And so I just don't want to speak anymore. I want to hand it over. I'm gathering you're not accused of listening very often. <laughs> makes you feel any better, neither am I. I just happen to be far away from home. You see, I'm married to a counselor. I'm a mess. She tells me all the time. She's been working on me for 34 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
You can't just have an emotion when you're married to a counselor. It's like, why are you asking the question that way? Because I'm upset. My name's David Lake. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, thank you for allowing me to come here. Um, I, I love New Zealand. This is actually my fourth time here. Um, I just love this place. And every time I come here and meet people and talk to people, I just, I just love it. I, I, don't, I don't know. So um, I'll come here every time I get a chance, that's for sure. So, and again, thank you for allowing me to, to come here. Um, I'm married, been married, like I said, 34 years, married my high school sweetheart. Um, have four grown kids. I have eight grandchildren, uh, ranging from eight to like two months, I think. <laughs> That's what I'm told. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. Um, so uh, my wife and I actually have a lot of fun uh, with, we do marriage stuff, and that's always a blast um, because we are different. Um, and so... We, we come from completely different sides of the track. Um, my background is I'm ranching and farming and construction. So um, I actually, I ride horses now. Um, I, I don't know if you know what team roping is here in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, the blank stare says everything. <laughs> so um, if you can Google it one of these times, it's we, we ride horses and chase cows and and rope them, and we do it, we compete in times. Now, you might not see the beauty in that, being from (laughs) here and actually coming out of my mouth, I'm wondering about the beauty in it too, (laughs) trying to explain it to you. (laughs) So, um, anyway, (laughs) moving right along, uh, my... uh, my background is, is construction. I'm the blue-collar worker. I, uh, I own a business right now. I actually, God owns the business. I work for him. Um, it's a business that continues to grow in a rate that continues to blow my mind. Um, I just love watching God be God when he's a CEO of a company. Um, I'm passionate about God. I absolutely love God. I love to talk to people about God. Hence the not listening very often <laughs> thing that we can get accused of occasionally. Um, when I got saved probably 30 years ago, uh, I was on fire for God. Now, I've lived life, you know, hell and back during that time, but my passion about the reality of God has never changed. If I walk away from here... What I care about you remembering about tonight is that you saw Jesus, really. I, I don't care if you remember my name. I, I, I'm, I'm not offended. But I really want you to see Jesus in me, and, and that's what I live for. I want you to get to know God more. Everything that I do is about getting to know God more. If you're here to learn a process on how to move God, how to manipulate God, how to get him what you do, you might as well go now because you're going to be sorely disappointed. But I do want to take you on a journey of 
getting to know who he is. John 17, 3 says it this way. This is eternal life to know God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So if you could sum the gospel and what walking this walk with Christ is all about, it's getting to know God. And I want you to understand something. God is so big that you're going to spend eternity getting to know him. You might as well be doing it now. You see, we need to be living eternal lives today. Okay? You're not limited by anything that's here on earth. It's about walking with God. And, and I'm, when I first got saved, I've, I've been a student of the Bible. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I love to read the Bible. And from day one, that's the way it was. In fact, I, when I first got saved, I told God, I said, I'm not going to go to church. I said, I'm going to open your word and either your truth or you're a liar. And that's how my Christian walk began. And so I began to devour the Bible, and I have ever, si- ever since then. And even now, on all the times that I've read it, I continue to get excited about it, it discovering the new things about God. So with that being said, may I challenge you this way. When you open the Word of God, ask this question, what does this tell me about you, God? Don't open the Bible asking, what does this tell me to do for you, God? You open the Bible to say, and I mean the weirdest story, okay? Because in the Bible, there's weird stories. Today's soap operas can't hold a candle to what you read in the Bible. I'm telling you. But in each one of those situations, it tells you something about the character of God. It tells you about who he is. And so when you begin to do that, you begin to know God. When you begin to know God, out of you comes the preaching the word. Out of that knowing him comes evangelism. Out of that knowing him comes being led by the spirit of God. You see, it's not a magic formula. It just is born out of knowing him. I go where God wants me to go. Why? Because he said go. Because of knowing him. That's all I care about. You see, it, it, it's not a chore. Uh, walking the, the life of Christ was difficult, and it gets easier the more I get to know God. Now, you don't hear people tell you that all the time because we're like crabs in a bucket. When somebody starts to get out of the bucket, all the rest of the crabs try to drag him back down. And we would rather sit around and talk about our problems and our hardships all the time and stay stuck on them. I'm telling you, when you get to know God, you get to enter into a rest and you get to walk through the situations of life and rest in the things of him. Knowing full well that nothing that's going to happen to you will surprise him. The only person shocked is you. Seriously, he knows the beginning from the end, the beginning of your life to what's going to happen down the road. He knows the next dumb thing you're going to do. I have this deep, profound question that I ask people. Could God have stopped it? There's only one answer. Yes. Then why did he allow it to happen? And in that answer, in the question or the answer to the question comes the discovery of who God is. So, challenge. What you know yesterday is nothing 
compared to what he wants to tell you about himself tomorrow. You see, when we talk about God, I don't want to hear what you knew two years ago. I want to hear what he told you about him yesterday when you were resting on his lap, listening to his heartbeat. That's what I want to know. And then I want you to look forward to what he's going to tell you about who he is tomorrow. That's what life's about. You don't get to take your resume. You don't get to tell him how many places you visited, how many people you got saved, how many people you healed, how much money you raised for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean a hill of beans because everything that you do was prepared beforehand by him to be done through you. So you really can't take credit for any of that. (laughs) Pressure's off. Enjoy the journey. Pressure is off. Enjoy the journey. So I told you a little bit about this business we have. I build swimming pools in Arizona. Now I want you to understand something. In Arizona in the summer, it's like 40 to 45 degrees. Okay? So that translates to Fahrenheit Anywhere from 110 to, we can reach 100 and, we, we run strings of days that are 118 degrees. It gets so hot in the summer that the devil leaves town and goes somewhere else. <laughs> Us sick people stay there. <laughs> so I built swimming pools, imagine that, in Arizona. <laughs> good business to be in. And it's amazing how God got me into this business because I never wanted to be in business. But God says, here's what we're going to do. In fact, let me tell you this. When I first got saved in five years, I knew I was going to pastor a mega church. I was going to have a huge following. boy, was I in for a shock. I was passionate about God, but yet God had the design of what he wanted to do. And I'm finding the more I walk with him, the less expectation I have on what I think it should look like. I really just want it to look like what he wants it to look like. I want it to be only what he wants it to be. I'll never forget in our, in our industry, um, my, uh, I had a salesman. His first sale, he's, our, uh, one of the, our first sales was a $100,000 pool. Okay, we spent a lot of money in Arizona for swimming pools. So it was a $100,000 pool. So the caveat is that we had to go to his existing pool and remodel that pool. Well, for whatever reason, we failed miserably at executing what we were supposed to do. And the person came back to me and said to me, look, I don't want you to build that pool. And I was a bit disappointed, obviously. I said, fine. I said, that's okay. So the salesman who, if anybody's in sales, knows that their income's based off of commission, wasn't getting a dime. So a few years later, I asked the salesman, I said to him, well, when he was discouraged about losing the sale, I said, I want you to understand something. I says, if God owns this business, we'll get every pool, every contract we're supposed to have, and we'll get, won't get every contract we're not supposed to have. 
Now, can you trust God that way? You see, I know God well enough to know that's how he operates. That doesn't give me an excuse to slack off. It doesn't give me an excuse to not be excellent in what I do. But here's what I do know. If it's his business, I'll get every piece that I'm supposed to have. In fact, I don't want any more than what he wants me to have. Do you, do you get this? You see, we keep trying to build things in our own image and not what God wants it to be. I mean, like, who hung Christ on the cross? His Father. And what did Christ want to do? Only what his Father wanted him to do. Did Jesus not only speak the things that he heard from the Father? Did he only not do what he saw the Father do? I mean, come on. He's He's, the cross is there. He could call. He had all the authority to call all the angels to do battle on his behalf. There wouldn't have been a second thing. But guess what? He only wanted what the Father wanted to do. He wasn't interested in doing what he thought things should be done. And you know what's funny about Christians? We're always telling God how things ought to be done. We are. And then we wonder why we're disappointed when the fact of the matter, since he knows what's best. If he knows what's best, why would we want anything different? I'll tell you why. Because you don't know God. You don't know God. You see, when you know God, you know how he acts. You know what he does. You spent time with him. You don't second guess those things. I've been married 34 years to my wonderful wife. And I guess what? There's a lot of things she doesn't need to verbalize to me. Because I know how she acts. I know what she does. All that is is an illustration of that same relationship that you have with God. When you spend that time with him, when you read his word, when you sit quietly and learn to hear his voice, you know what he does. So you get to the point. That's the way it needs to be, God. That's fine with me. Christians are wonderful. They make themselves busy. You see, I find myself talking less about the devil the more I get to know God. Now, I want you to understand something. My background when I got into church was charismania right away. We were. I mean, we were filled with the spirit, tongue-speaking, devil-casted, you commanding, you heavens, you do what. Yeah, that was us from the very beginning. (laughs) And so even when I was in church, I was part of the DET team. Do you know what that was? The demon expulsion team. (laughs) Because I knew what spiritual warfare was. Boy, if you had a demon, you'd come around me. I'd pray it right out of you on the spot. (laughs) So, So I had this reality of how things should be. That was just a tool in the toolbox. It was time to move on after that. And yet, I see so many people more consumed about the devil attacking them than resting in the reality and goodness of God. 
do you think that the devil did anything more to you than he had permission from God to do? Anybody ever read Job? Think about the first three chapters of Job. Job was hanging out with his family. Things are going well. God's hanging out in heaven. Satan walks around up there. What does God do? God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God, don't bring my name up. (laughs) And what is Satan? He states the obvious about the character of God. He says, well, (laughs) you know what? He says he's protected by you. I can't do anything here, but if you take your protection off of him, he will curse you. Okay, there's my protection off. How many times does he do that? So here's what we do. We overemphasize the reality that your enemy is a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. Is that truth? Yes, it is. Now you know. Move on. Don't get stuck there. I tell people all the time who emphasize spiritual warfare. Their whole being is about spiritual warfare. Do you know how many verses in the New Testament are devoted to spiritual warfare? Yeah. You can count them on one hand. What's the point? Does it exist? Yes, it does. But you go to God for when you use that tool. You are conscious that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God. What do you know? The reality of God, but it does not dictate how you live your life because you live by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you know God, you know how he acts, and you respond the way that he wants you to respond I tell people all the time you know what your greatest tool walking with God don't let it get out of this room (laughs) sit down and shut up (laughs) sit down and listen I tell intercessors all the time I said don't pray for me don't bother You just pray what God tells you to pray. And if he don't tell you to pray for me, don't bother. Can you imagine if intercessors in our churches, whom God called and burdened their heart to pray, that's a measure of grace that he put on them. If they'd learn to be listeners first and speakers second, how effective we would be in the body of Christ. Instead, what do they start doing? They start praying, their will be done. You see, we never understand the impact of be still and know that I am God. You know how many times in the church we've told people about not missing the timing of God? 
I got news for you. You're not going to miss it. Relax. Watch God be God. Let patience have its perfect work that you would be complete and desire nothing. If you rest in the things of God and you know the character of God who is sovereign above all things, who does things by his calendar, do you need to be worried about missing his timing? Do you think he doesn't love you enough to get you from point A to B? I thought the word said the work that he began in you, he'll be faithful to complete. You see, it's, it's the journey. It's the journey. It's taking the journey. It's about learning the reality. You find that you enter into this rest with God. Why? You cease from your own works. Why do you cease from your own works? Because you're watching God be God. You see the difference? Watching God be God. Read the word. Get to know God. Read the word. Learn to hear his voice. You learn to hear his voice because when you read the word, you begin to understand this is how God acts. And all of a sudden, you become more sensitive to him as you hang out with him. Do you know that you have to trust God to correct you when you need to be corrected? But we get sick in ourselves because we're afraid we're going to make the wrong decision. Do you really think God's that concerned about your mistake on humanity? No. You see, this life is his story. History is his story. You get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. You get to manifest. We were talking today, and, 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 and we had, you know, you know what the funny thing about Israel was? They weren't there to evangelize the world. God chose them, and you can look this up. God chose them, why? Because he loved them. So their purpose on earth wasn't to evangelize their world. Their purpose on earth was to what? Manifest the kingdom of God on earth. Now, out of them being what God's called them to be, what happens? They evangelize the world. You see, we get it all backwards. You see, we cheapen the experience by making something that we have to do. Let me give you another example. I could give you a lot of examples. But let me give you another example. Faith. Faith. We, I, we wrote a book. I think it's called Redefining Rhema. came out last year. And it was based off of putting faith back in God's hands. Romans 10, 17 says it like this. Well, let's, let's back up. In Hebrews chapter 11... We use verse 1 as the verse to tell you what faith is. You know, let's turn that. We might as well make this official. Let's open the Bible. (laughs) 
And I always tell people, don't believe a word I'm saying. I'm just going to read you the word. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we take this and we use that as a definition of faith. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not the definition of faith. My little, I have like the e-sword and it has like the Strong's concordance. So when you think I'm a genius and I know all these things, I, I really don't. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that to you back there. But um says, now faith, you know, I used to have a lot of hair. You know, so, yeah, is that what it was? See, I tried to tell him, we were talking today, and I told him this. I go, you know, it's funny. I said, the heart is desperately wicked and evil above all things. We're always telling people, you know what, get your heart right with God. Oh, really? Do you believe you actually know your heart well enough to do that? You can't do that. God has to show you. I says, it's like this. I says, when I look in the mirror, I see this 25-year-old weightlifter who's built in a full head of hair. And I walk away from that mirror believing that. <laughs> and then I come out here and I speak to people and they look at me and says, look at the old guy who's going bald, whose chest has fallen down to his waist. You see the reality of who I am. I think I'm something different. <laughs> and my wife, she's so sweet. She always tells me, yeah, you're, you're all right, Dave. That's what women are supposed to do. <laughs> Now, faith, and I look it up in the Greek, it actually is a Greek word, but it's pistis, which means persuasion, credence, or moral conviction. Basically, what faith means is belief. And what faith does is it holds up the thing that you hope for. So what this means really is this, like, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction. It is the support system, all right? So like when you know that, Jesus, that you're going to go to heaven, your faith or your actions support what you hope for in the future, okay? So faith is really just belief. Now, I always ask for years. I've heard people say, extend your faith. What does that mean? Because it doesn't line up with what is right here. So I have to, we know that faith is a belief. Now, we could stand here and I could have faith or believe that that piece of wood is going to turn white until the cows come home. And will it ever turn white? Probably not. It's important for you to understand this because what we've done with this word of faith is we've made it man-centered and God-centered. Okay, so I want to I take you on this journey. So, so you go to Romans 10, 17, and it says faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing by a word. And do you know what that Greek word for word is there? It's rhema. Now, rhema means an utterance from God. Him speaking. It gives this implication of present tense. Logos is the other Greek word that we read for word in the New Testament, and it means something in the past or something written. So Jesus was what? The Logos, which is different than Rhema. So now we need to understand something. 
So if faith is a belief, and Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by a rhema or an utterance from God, where do you, what has to happen for you to have faith? God has to what? Speak to you. Do you do it? No, he does it. Because when he speaks, he imparts the faith to do something you couldn't do before. But what do we become, a church or a people who do what? We take faith and say, this is what you need to do. Step out in faith. That's called presumption. Really? That's called presumption. Some people always ask me this. It's like, Dave, how do you know it's God? And I look at him and I say, did it happen? Because the word of God will not return void, but accomplish what he pleases and prospers in the thing whereto he sent it. So if God speaks it, is there any possibility of it not happening? So if it's truly faith and he spoke, I'll give you another illustration. In John chapter 6, it says it this way. It says nobody comes to Jesus unless he's beckoned by the Father. But there's these two specific things that have to happen. The Father speaks to them and the Father teaches them. In my, I'm quoting scripture, right? Yep, that's in the Bible, right? So you don't get saved unless what? Now, even though you don't recognize the voice of God, the only reason that you ever go to Jesus is because the Father speaks to you and teaches you. That's the only reason you get to go, you go to Jesus. So what has to happen is that God speaks to you, and though you don't recognize it, He imparts what? Faith to do what? To make a decision for Christ, whereas the day before, you were out drinking and carousing and didn't care about tomorrow. You see what happens? So that's, but that's that's the purest sense of what faith is. God's speaking into your life and imparting things. Now, so uh, let's, let's continue in Hebrews here. It says, by faith we understand the world we prepared by the rhema of God, though that what is seen was not made of things which are visible. So God speaks these things to these people, and they do something that is extraordinary or something bigger than them. You go on. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, though which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about the gifts, and through faith, through he is, though he is dead, he still speaks. I always wondered why Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and Cain's wasn't. The answer's right there. By faith. Now stop. Where does faith come from? Hearing. Who had to speak? So so why was Abel's sacrifice acceptable and Cain's wasn't? Why? Come on. Because God told him what to sacrifice. Do you see how you tie that together? That faith comes by hearing him? It wasn't what he did. Abel heard God. Now, let me ask you this. Let's just explore God some more. Did God tell Cain too? Yes. Isn't that the character of God? So, did Cain have the rhema? No, he didn't. 
Abel did. And his sacrifice was pleasing. Why? Because God told him what to do. Now, remember, the Bible says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those things hoped for. Hebrews what? 11.6? Wow. Imagine that. So when you think about that, it says without faith, without what? Hearing from God, it's impossible to please him. Do you understand why I talk about shutting up so much? Because you stop trying to manipulate circumstances and you begin to enjoy the relationship of God and the impartation of what he does to do things that are greater than you. Think about this. Jesus is tempted. He's led in the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Just a side note. Is it the character of God to lead somebody to the wilderness? Yes, it is. Who are you whining because you're in the wilderness? <laughs> Jesus came out of the wilderness, and it was pretty cool, wasn't it? In fact, he moved in a power that he didn't have before. So why are we widening about being in the wilderness? Well, that was just a side note. So he goes into the wilderness, and Satan tempts him. Hey, you're hungry. You've been around for 40 days and haven't eaten. Tell these rocks to turn into bread and eat him. And he answers him this way. Man does not live by bread alone, but of every word, every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, wait a second. Are you telling me that you were created in such a way that you are supposed to hear the voice of God to live? Never thought about it that way. That's what you're created for. You see, you're created to be pleasing to God. He created you that way, and he also speaks into your life, so that would be the thing that happens. Isn't that powerful when you get to hear God? I, 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 I like this. Trust comes from knowing God. Faith comes from hearing God. Yes, I will. Trust comes from knowing God. Faith comes from hearing God. When you trust God, you know him. He does what he says he does. I will provide for your needs according to his glitches and glory. Do I need to worry about my needs being met? Nope. Why are we wasting all of the emotional energy? Because the bank account went low. So you know God, those circumstances come up, and because you know him, you what? You trust him. My wife and I are away from each other. But we trust each other. Why? Because we know each other. Do you see the difference? But when God speaks a word, here's one of my here's another great illustration. Are you ready? In Acts chapter 27. 
You know the story. Paul's told to go speak to a people. Says, gets on a ship, tells the guys, hey, look, guys, this isn't going to work. Don't do this. People in the ship don't believe Paul. Paul ends up in a ship. Our storms are going and crazy. Paul, hanging out with God, wakes up one day. Look, guys, don't worry about what's happening. An angel of the Lord visited me last night, and he told me this is what we're going to do. So he says, hey, take courage. And I think that's so funny that after he said takes courage, it's like the trip got worse. Take courage. God said this is what we're going to do. They get shipwrecked. They end up on an island. Chapter 28, verse 1, when they had brought safely through them, we found that we were in an island called Malta, and the natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold and kindled the fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks laid them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Now we get excited about the power that's there. But I think we're misidentifying the power. Now, we like to quote the scripture, God's given you power over snakes and scorpions and all powers of the enemy that none should hurt you. And it's a good one to quote. But I want to add to that. You know what was exciting about this? Is that Paul knew God so well, he understands. That not a storm on earth, not a demon from hell, not a snake in the world was going to stop what God had already spoke to him of what was going to happen. So he shakes the snake off and moves right along on the journey because he already trusted God to do what he said he was going to do. You will manifest what you believe. And I say it that way because we as Christians really work hard to try to say the right thing. But when the pressure's turned on and your reaction or your twitch happens, you will manifest what you believe God is. Probably not going to invite me back, are you? (laughs) It's the reality of who God is. What are you going to manifest? What is the circumstance? You know what? God loves you so much. That allows those things to happen so that you might see your heart so that he might change or continue to change what needs to be changed. Makes you wonder how 
James, rejoice in your tribulations. What was that guy doing when he wrote that? And yet the reality is he knew God used those things to mold them into what they were supposed to be. Because what he begins in their life, he is faithful to complete. You see why you need to read the Word of God? Do you see why you need to learn to listen to God? I want to encourage you. I tell people, journal. Start writing down when you're in the quiet times with God. And you begin to discover what's God and what's not God. But you journal. Write those things down. You're going to figure out that that pastor who tells you to wait just 15 minutes from God is just such a ridiculous idea because you get to the point where it's like, only 15 minutes? When you're hanging out with God, an hour passes and you don't even realize it. We worship tonight for 40 minutes, and if you were into worship, time meant nothing. Because time don't mean nothing to him. (laughs) You get to enjoy the journey. Questions. This is a... a, uh, Questions. What do you have? Ask me. Ask me. I'm listening. Oh, come on. Nothing? Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't worry myself with that. I I really don't. Um, in this journey with God, isn't about looking for the absolutes. First of all, I don't know people's hearts. Has anybody ever been addicted to something? Okay, no, no. Okay, can somebody who's not been addicted understand? That when somebody walks up to you and says, just make the right decision, you look at them and you go, duh. (laughs) Okay, there's a a point to that. So there's an understanding of the reality that, you know what, God? I'm looking at my life and I'm praying that I make it there. And all I'm doing is want to drag people around for the journey. I want to take them with me. Hey, guys, let's discover who God is. You're his problem. You're part of the body of Christ. I'm going to love you where you are. You have a measure of grace to function where you are. You may only go so far. That's between you and God. 
We're just going to make the journey. So do I need to make a stand on if I'm going to lose our salvation or not going to lose my salvation or I was spiritual enough or not spiritual enough? All those things are are things that distract us from getting to know Jesus in a deeper way. Does that make sense? You guys, I've done some things, and if, as the more I get to know you, I'll share some more of the dirt in my life that I'm not proud of. And it was the, it, and, and those things happen in the midst of my most spiritual times in life. There's a story about King David in the Bible, and we've all heard it, about Bathsheba. And, and, you know, he had an affair, and he killed her husband. And we've heard the teachings. He shouldn't have been on the roof, and he should have been to battle, and he should have done it, all this stuff. But you know what's interesting is that King David didn't know something about God at that time in his life. Do you know what he didn't know? He didn't know the depth of God's mercy and grace. How do you know? Because he never had to partake of it up till that point. You see, he knew he knew how to worship him. He knew he was his power. He knew a lot of things about God. But he didn't know the depth and mercy of God until what? Until he needed the depth and mercy of God. Now, I want you to understand something. (laughs) I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know why you're going through it, except for this. You're doing it to get to know God more. And King David walks through this situation, and for the first time in his life, has to discover a depth of grace and mercy that he only knew here. And after that, He writes Psalms 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. Take your Holy, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. You guys know it. The point being is that we stop devouring each other. Grab a hand. Support when we need to support. And make the journey on getting to know God. Does that make sense? So King David, God says, David, I'm going to show you my grace and mercy. Go ahead and act how you're going to act. And what does he do? He goes out, gets himself in problems, and realizes what life is like without the Spirit of God on him. So you never know what somebody's going through. Does that make an excuse for sin? No, it doesn't. Is sin wrong? Yeah, sin's wrong. But when you walk with God, your view of life becomes expanded and you stop being critical and judgmental of everything that goes on, knowing what? That God is still in charge. Anything else? Yeah. Sure we do. 
And I think that when you live life, you naturally become a testimony to everybody around you. Now, does God give a measure of grace for some individuals to be evangelists? Absolutely. They're going to function away. But the rest of us get to do what? We get to manifest Christ wherever he puts us, in our businesses, in our schools, in our governments, in our homes, in our families. You manifest the reality of God. And that affects people. Make sense? We're not all called to come up here and do what I do. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you another story. So, never say never, number one. So, So, this is how God works. So... I can get, you could drop me in the middle of anywhere, and I can talk about God, okay? I like to sing, and I'm great with the radio. Aren't we all? So several years ago, I'm working in somebody's house doing a repair. This guy happens to be a singer. He's put together a couple records and and everything else like this. And he sings in churches and has a ministry for that. So I'm sitting in there. And he's not home. And I have the radio on because I work best when I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. (laughs) So I'm singing. I had a concert going in that room. And I didn't hear him come home. So he walks into the house, and he has a soundtrack, and he hands it to me. He says, David, you need to sing at my next, I think he was doing a, a, a couple's retreat. He goes, you need to sing. And I go, ha, ha, ha. no, that ain't happening. That's not going to happen at all. No, no, he says, you got a nice voice. He goes, you need to sing. I ain't going to do it. So I, a couple of days later, I have a dream. This is going to blow your mind. I go to bed, and God speaks to me in dreams. Sometimes I don't even want to go to bed. So some of the things I'm going to hear. But... <laughs> so God speaks to me in this dream. And in this dream, I'm in the desert. And in this desert, I'm in like a corral. And in this corral is a cow. Sorry, it wasn't bad pizza. I asked. <laughs> In the scene of the dream, I'm sitting on the cow. The cow turns around, and he begins to eat my arm. I begin to bleed, and I feel no pain. I wake up. I get in the shower. I said, God, was this bad pizza, or was this from you? And God gives me a revelation. He says, the desert is a season in your life. He goes, the corral is a specific time. He says, the cow represents an idol. He says, you are riding the idol of self. He says, what an idol will do is it will eat you. He says, the reason... He says, the reason you see the blood and feel no pain, because an idol will destroy you and you won't even know it's happening. Called up the next day. Yes, I will sing. So never say never. (laughs) 
when you walk by the Spirit of God, life can get real interesting. <laughs> so one day, I'm in a construction. I, I mean, I'm building something, and me and my construction vermin friends go to have lunch <laughs> in a fast food place. And I'm sitting there, and these two guys are Christians, and we love God. And in this restaurant walks an older lady with her husband. And she can't even move, and he's taking care of her. And I look over there, and the Spirit of the Lord says, you need to pray that she's going to be healed. I said, God, I'm in a restaurant. I do not know these people. Do you understand what you're asking me to do? And so I begin to argue with God. Now, when God wants to get my attention, he dumps the spirit in a great way, and I start shaking. So I'm sitting there at my table, arguing with God, and I start shaking. <laughs> and my brilliant friends who are sitting across from me looks at me and he says, either you heard from God or you have a devil. <laughs> I got new friends. <laughs> I said to them, God said we are supposed to go pray for him. If the ship is going to sink, drag them all with you. I said, God said we are supposed to. Of course, they're looking at me and really don't have much to comment on. So I go, okay, we got to go over there. I stopped eating because that wasn't working. So they're over here, and I walk towards them and right to the bathroom. I washed my hands like five times that day. I never washed my hands. I'm an open book. <laughs> so I go back to the table again. Uh, and I said, God, you got to give me the strength to do this. I can't do it. You know, the more I get to know God, the more I figure out I can't do anything. I said, God. So at that time, I grabbed my two or three friends we go over there. I said, let's go. And I had my vial of anointing oil that I always cut. Because any good charismatic has this vial of anointing oil. So I have my vial of anointing oil. And I'm shaking like a leaf. And I walked up to her husband. I said, sir, I was standing over there. And God said he wants to heal your wife. May I pray for her? He goes, yeah. And I said, ma'am, I said, 
can I pray for you? God wants to touch your life. And she goes, if you think it'll help. And I go, oh, don't worry, it will help. So I have this major, deep, spiritual moment. I grab my anointing oil. I slap some on the finger. And I did one of these prayers. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Boo! Out the door I went. I went sticking around to see if she got healed or not. Man, I am out of here. So we pray for her, that three-second prayer. Uh, out the door we get. I crawl in the truck, and I'm driving, and I'm shaking like a leaf, and I'm backing out of there. And the Spirit of God comes on me, and he says to me, just as clear as could be, he says, you didn't stay to see her healed, but I healed her. And the peace of God hit me like that, and I stopped shaking immediately. Powerful thing. I'm going to share one more Holy Ghost story. Get to know God. He does crazy things. Get to know God because what you know today is nothing compared to what you get to learn about him tomorrow. And that applies every day that you live. So I told you my background was the DET team. It's a spiritual giant I was. A warrior for God. <sighs> so several years ago, there's a move of God called the Toronto Blessing. And some of us uh, more mature people might remember this. And the Spirit of God would manifest in some pretty crazy ways at that particular time. But it really was a time of refreshing for a lot of people who were in the church, who were overwhelmed by the things of God. So we heard about this spiritual happenings, and we sent a pastor to go check this stuff out. Now, again, so he comes back to give us a report. And at the particular time, I was probably in the church, and if you're a pastor, there was 800. If you're a prophet, there was 400. So there was probably 600 people in the crowd there. How many people you got in church? Oh, I got a thousand. How come there was like 500 empty seats then last week? Doesn't matter. Moving right along. So I'm in the middle of this congregation, in the middle of this church. Now, you know, I was the guy that if you had a demon, I was watching the door. You. Meet me after church. I'm going to fix you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I'm in the middle of this service. And the pastor begins to tell us what he sees. And in the middle of this service, God says to me, roar. What? Get behind me, Satan. God says, I want you to roar. There's no way this is from God. 
I'm shaking like a leaf, you know. Get my attention, drop some anointing on there. It's just a recipe that I just don't win. Uh, my poor wife. Sainthood. She's a saint. So God says, roar. And I begin to tell him how that was out of church order. There was no biblical precedence to that. I had a position at the church. God, I am the DET team. So, the pastor's teaching there, and he stops in the middle of the service. Now, he can't see me. He stops in the middle of service, and he says, somebody here, God has told you to do something. And he says, you're not doing it. So now I'm shaking and crying. My, my poor wife, did I mention her? I'm shaking and crying, and I'm going, God, when is the proper time to roar in church? God, if you don't do something, this isn't going to happen. So the pastor continues to teach, and I stand up in the middle of the service. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. In the middle of, I'm sure there was 10,000 people in that building at that time. Some who've never spoke to me since. I stand up in the middle of the service, and I roar at the top of my lungs twice. Now, it's important for you to understand something I did not establish the ministry of the roar after this. It's real important you understand that. So I roar and I begin to weep. I had everybody's attention. It was real quiet in there. And the pastor looked at me, as well he should have. And he says to me, David, you need to come up here and pray for people. And I can tell you that I can't recall a time when the anointing was so powerful on me at that time. And I prayed for people for a half hour. 45 minutes, and the Spirit of God would slay them in the Spirit. They'd begin to weep. They would start to talk, and I would tell them, just be quiet, and the Spirit of God would take them. And people would roar for 45 minutes. God showed me a lot of things after that, how religious I had become. And how religious that church had become. And several weeks later, the Spirit of the Lord told me as I was sitting to dinner with one of the pastors, I said, if we don't get what the Spirit of God has done in our midst, the church will be no more. The church is no more. And it was a wonderful church. But you know what? That's not a tragedy. It was a step 
in the journey to know God. Don't limit what he wants to do. He desires to show himself in you, through you. You were made to manifest the reality of who he is. Know him and manifest him. Thanks, guys, for allowing me to share tonight. appreciate it. So, Lord, I, I want to thank you just for the time to talk about you, to discover who you are, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here in our midst. And, Lord, I pray that you would stir everyone here with a holy hunger for you. God, if you don't give us that hunger, we, we don't get hungry. So touch us, God. Open our ears to hear the things of you. Open our eyes to see the things of you, Lord. Flesh and blood is not to reveal it to us, but your spirit is to reveal it to us. God, we look forward to tomorrow. Forgive us for being happy or content with what we've known up to this point. Take complacency far from us, God. Make us a people and a congregation that looks like Jesus because we know you. We love you, Lord. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.